0: Our gospel lesson this morning is from the gospel according to John, chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and from now on do not sin again. This too is the word of God for the people of God. I once worked uh, for a summer camp director who loved team building activities. Specifically, he loved consensus building activities. We would get prompts with a big decision to make, and Harry then demanded the team come to a consensus. Everything from what to do in the event of a plane crash uh, to which fictional nonprofit should get a million dollars. The whole point is to get the team to communicate effectively. None of these exercises have correct answers. They're just meant to teach cooperation and out-of-the-box thinking. They also tend to cause massive fights, and I mean massive. There is one infamous activity that Harry is particularly fond of. It's called the Alligator River. And recently, Harry posted on his social media that it was Alligator River Day for his leadership staff And generations of camp employees responded in the comments in complete dismay. It's possible that we've been traumatized by this activity. Here's how it works. You're told the story of Abigail, who was in love with Gregory, and they live on opposite shores of a river teeming with man-eating alligators. Abigail wanted to cross the river to be with Gregory, but the bridge had been washed out. So she went to see a riverboat captain to take her across. The captain said he would happily take her across the river if she would sleep with him before the voyage. She refused, and she went to tell her friend Ivan about what happened, but Ivan doesn't want to get involved, so he doesn't do anything. Feeling sort of trapped, Abigail accepted the captain's terms, and he took her across the river to Gregory, but when Gregory heard what Abigail had done, he was furious, and he broke up with her. Deeply upset, Abigail goes to see another friend whose name is Steve to tell him what happened. Steve, feeling compassion for Abigail, beats Gregory Gregory brutally, which made Abigail thrilled. The job then is given to the participants to rank the five characters from most offensive to least offensive, and then come to a consensus on the order. Which character is the worst? Which character committed the most heinous sin? And I wonder if you decided who the worst was while I was still telling the story. I wonder if you have already started ranking them in your head, and I wonder if the person sitting next to you would agree. This activity is difficult, not just because of your standard communication and compromise challenges, but because it asks us to judge individuals based on one action, on one story. It wants us to assign value to them. And then it wants us to agree on that value. So perhaps it's no surprise that fights break out during this activity. It's no wonder that Harry's former employees remember it. So what's the opposite of fondly? Now, I would like to say that this kind of judgment does not come naturally to us, but I think we all know that that would be false. It is like a part of our human nature to look at a person, to hear about their behavior and then make a judgment. To decide how valuable they are. We all carry our own standards, qualifiers, whatever that create a worldview that give more value to one person over another. But as the Alligator River activity reminds us, there is not a right answer, perhaps suggesting that assigning value to someone based on a single action is, you know, not the right move. In our gospel text this morning, Jesus finds himself in something almost akin to an alligator river. The religious leaders are attempting to trap Jesus by bringing to him a woman who has been caught in adultery. According to the law, they say this woman should be stoned, and they're looking for a reason to accuse him, and getting him to stand contrary to the law seems like a good way to do that. Instead of responding, however, Jesus squats down and starts to write in the dirt with his finger— it is a signal that he will not be participating in the game the religious leaders are playing. But they press him, so he straightens up and simply says, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. I'd wager you've heard that before. It has infiltrated our common vernacular as a way of reminding people not to judge. After Jesus delivers his line, he stoops down again to draw in the dust. And slowly but surely, the gathered crowd starts to leave until the only people left are Jesus and the woman accused. Jesus stands up again, looks around, and asks a question that I'm sure he knows the answer to. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Of course, Jesus has made it so that no one could. No one was sinless, so they could offer no condemnation. He then goes a step further, refusing to condemn her himself. Jesus, who was sinless, does not condemn the woman caught in adultery. So Jesus sends her back into the world without condemnation, but with a charge to sin no more, to change her life. We won't discover what happens to her, where her life will lead, but in all honesty, we don't know anything about her to begin with. The text never tells us her name, her history, her family of origin. We know nothing, no context, just her misdeed. And I think the lack of details about the accused is rather the point. For the religious leaders, she was simply a tool to trap Jesus. To them, the woman is fairly inconsequential. Her only value in the story is the sin that she committed— Her entire worth is determined by this one thing she has done and how that may be used against someone else. The religious leaders dehumanize this woman, turning her into an object for debate and discussion. She's no longer a person, only a means to an end. She is like the characters in the Alligator River, a problem that needs to be solved. In this week's screen portion of Scripture and Screen, we return to the West Wing, because I couldn't help it, Uh, and the staff of the West Wing, they find themselves in a a similar position. Simon Cruz, a convicted murderer, is on death row, and he has been uh, appealing his conviction. His team of public defenders is working tirelessly until the appeal is brought before the Supreme Court. The court, however, rejects the appeal on a Friday night, and his sentence will be carried out on Monday morning, leaving his team only a weekend to do something. And the only thing that can save Simon now is presidential intervention. The president's staff spends the entire weekend agonizing over what to do, how to advise President Bartlett. More than once during the episode, it is made clear that perhaps the biggest reason to not commute the sentence is that it presents a political problem. A high percentage of Americans, according to the president and his staff, support the death penalty, which means that stopping the execution would not play well politically. Simon Cruz is a criminal, and he is a problem. In the end, the president chooses not to act, and Simon is executed. I spent a lot of time wondering why fictional Jed Bartlett did nothing. In the course of the episode, we see plenty of arguments for intervening. We hear the opinions of a Quaker, a rabbi, a Catholic priest who are in favor of stepping in. Perhaps the argument could be made that Bartlett is trying to keep the office of the president separate from the work of the justice system, or that he doesn't want to set a precedent that will affect whoever holds his office next. I also think he cares a lot about what the American people think about him. It is a, a reasonable political decision, but it is also a disappointing human one, because at the end of the day, all of their political and personal reasoning fails to recognize the humanity of Simon Cruz, the loss of, life at, of, the loss of human life at their hands. Simon Cruz is a plot device, a political problem, Now this is not a sermon on the death penalty. It is not meant to give a decisive answer on who should live or whose life has the most value. It isn't even about justice really, but it is worth saying that 41% of people on death row and 34% of the people that are executed are black, while only 13% of the U.S. population is black. In the state of Georgia, people who are convicted of killing white victims are 17 times more likely to be executed than those convicted of killing black victims. Those are statistics, um, but those numbers represent real lives, real human beings who have been defined by one thing, rather than simply being valued for their humanity. Now, what the Gospel of John gives us that the West Wing does not is Jesus' perspective. By refusing to participate in the games of the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus also refuses to let the woman be a tool for anyone. Jesus doesn't play games with someone's humanity. He will not let this woman become collateral damage in the leader's attempt to bring him down. She will not be a pawn in the political machinations of temple leadership. She is not a problem. She is a person, flawed but human and full of value and possibility. In fact, in addressing her and the religious leaders as he does, Jesus puts them on equal footing. He fully rejects the notion that this woman is of less value than those who would accuse her. His words to the scribes and Pharisees, let anyone among you who is without sin, they envision the past, the way the crowd has lived until this moment. His words to the woman, neither do I condemn you, envision the future, the way the woman could live from now on. And in so doing, Jesus invites both the scribes and Pharisees and the woman to begin life anew in the present moment. They are invited to give up the old way and enter a new way of life. The text does not isolate the woman's sin, nor does Jesus single out the woman as a sinner. Rather, the text identifies all the characters as in need of and receiving an invitation to new life. In other words, sin equalizes them, or perhaps to offer a positive formulation, their common humanity means that they are equal— that every one of them has value. They were each created by God and called good. They each have a past and they each have a future. Jesus offers them no condemnation, only a way forward. Midway through the episode of the West Wing, the press secretary, CJ Craig, is sitting in her office with another member of the staff. Her colleague wants to ensure that she's ready uh, to brief the press. And CJ has done all the research. She has a whole file on Simon Cruz, his life, his crime, his family, his sentence, and this is what CJ says. I have no position on capital punishment. I try to get worked up about it. It seems like I should, but the truth is, I honestly don't care if Simon Cruz lives or dies, and I suppose if it brings some small measure of comfort to the families of the victims, then why the hell not? So here's my job tonight. At 12.01, he'll get the injection. The first sign of death will be his hands twitching. After 60 seconds, he'll strain against the straps. His head will snap back violently, and after 90 seconds, he'll be in convulsions. At 12.04, he'll be pronounced dead. Her colleague responds, you know, he killed two people, probably more. I'm sorry that I don't get worked up about it. And CJ continues, me neither, that's what I'm saying, me neither, except at 12.04 because that's when the warden calls me. That's my job tonight. I have to go in there and tell the president that Simon Cruz is dead and we are the ones who killed him. So I just wish that I didn't know his mother's name was Sophia. Sophia. Confronted with the reality of what will happen to Simon Cruz and with the absolute truth that Simon Cruz is a man with a mother, CJ has changed. He is no longer just a problem or an inmate or a killer or a statistic. He is a human being whose life will be ended by the state, who will have no more possibility, no more future. Like the scribes and Pharisees, like the woman, like CJ, like Simon Cruz like Jed Bartlett, we are all more than the sum of our parts. And while we assign value to people based on where they come from or what they look like, who they vote for, what they did on their worst day, God does not play the alligator river game with us. And seriously, no pun intended, but thank God for that. Thank God that our Creator does not rank us, does not tally up our sins, does not check our bank accounts, does not ask for references before offering us radical love and grace. So why, why, do we, why do we think that we have the right to decide who has value and who doesn't, who is worth more and who is worth less? Why do we insist on categorizing and identifying people based on the one or two things we may know about them, whether it is their gender, their race, their physical ability, their highest level of education, we put people into boxes and slap them with expectations. And when we do, so they cease to become people, but rather they're just their parts, their problems, their tools, their criminals, statistics, burdens. And boy is that <laughs> antithetical to the gospel. And it isn't just contrary to everything that Jesus taught and demonstrated. It is dangerous. I wonder, what did officers see when they stopped Jalen Walker? What did they assume about him when he ran? What did they decide about him in the seconds before they pulled the trigger 90 times? Was he a person or was he a problem? We need to stop seeing people as objects, as as a collection of their parts, but rather as human beings with breath and possibility and hope. All of us, every single one of us, has not been condemned by Jesus. We have been offered grace. We have received an invitation to new life, which means that all of us have the ability to change and step forward into something more equitable, more just, more loving. It means that we can walk out of this sanctuary today and do better. We can go out into the world and see people and seek the good. May it be so, and may it begin in me.